What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our our, our chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, if you're listening to this pod, you could do it in a variety of ways. You could start theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Jump on there. You can get 40% off of your annual subscription. Of course, listen to all of our great interviews. Uh, We've done a ton of them lately uh, on this podcast, so definitely jump on to do that. Or you can go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a million friends, tell two million friends, jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. And Jeff, I know we will probably have, uh, what are they, Charlottonians, Charlatans? I don't even know how to correctly say it, Jeff. Charlatans? Yeah, something like that for our our guests as we jump into an NFC South preview we're going to be doing the next three weeks, and we are starting up in North Carolina, Jeff. Yeah, man, I'm excited about this, uh, getting a chance to kind of go around the uh, NFC South, visit with some of our colleagues, and uh, kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on uh, the other teams in the division and also learn a little bit about the people that cover those teams for the athletics. So I'm excited to make this round here in the offseason. Absolutely. And might as well introduce longtime friend, a longtime NFC South colleague as we have crossed paths, I don't know, seemingly hundreds of times in life at this point. Uh, but our own Joe Person, who covers the Panthers uh, from the athletic Joe, how are you, my friend? How is uh, uh, being quarantined and having to learn about a new team, new coaches that you've uh, probably barely met or a lot of these folks that you haven't even met yet? Yeah, doing well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I'm here representing all Charlotteans. Is, uh, See, is what we- something like that. Charlotteans. <laughs> you learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, and I am not a native Char- Charlottean. I'm a I'm a native Pennsylvanian, uh, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, it's been you. You guys know what kind of off season this has been. It's been weird. It's been just just odd, crappy, whatever adjective you want to use, and and especially so, like you said, Larry, because you know I'm trying to get to know. A bunch of new players like Teddy Bridgewater, who both of you have been uh, very kind enough to give me some background on. But then like a whole new coaching staff and a bunch of new guys in the front office, too, uh, as, as you try to, you know, get get your uh, get your bearings with with a new staff. And they're, every once in a while you're on a Zoom call with somebody. But that's been about it. Yeah, Joe, um, I'm curious about the Charlotte sports hierarchy. I mean, in New Orleans. The Saints are definitely the dominant uh, team to cover. I mean, LSU down the road is is right there with them. And then I think probably the Pelicans would, would slot in at a distant number three. What's it like in Charlotte as far as sports coverage? I mean, do, do the universities of like North Carolina and Duke, do they merit uh, the same type of platform as, say, the Panthers? Where does like NASCAR rank? I'm just kind of curious about Charlotte sports. You know, the, how you describe New Orleans is, is 
kind of similar to here, Jeff. Uh, the Panthers very clearly are at the top of the pecking order. And then after that, I would say UNC, the, the Tar Heels. And, and yeah, you could almost lump that whole college scene in there together at about two with, with Duke and NC State kind of being 2A, if you, if 2A and 2B, if you will. So, and then after that, I'd say the Hornets, uh, especially. Now, I didn't live here when the Hornets were kind of, you know, in their infancy and, and rolling along with Larry Johnson and Grandmama and, and Alonzo Mourning and that whole crowd. You know, they've been pretty terrible with the exception of Kemba Walker since I've lived here and now he's gone. So they're third... And, you know, NASCAR, depending on who you ask, you might even have some people in Charlotte put NASCAR ahead of the Hornets. But uh, and then it, it tough to rank the Hurricanes because they're they're in Raleigh, obviously. But but we have a terrific writer at the Athletics, Sarah Sivian, who covers them for us. And I know that uh, there there's a ton of interest in them in Charlotte as well, but I think more so kind of around the rest of the state. Well, Joe, how much interest has you have you noticed even just this offseason Panthers wise? I mean, you just look at coaching staff roster. Uh, it certainly seems like it's almost an entirely new team and a new almost generation of the Panthers starting up. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was doing uh, c- kind of conducting an alumni poll that is, as you guys know, part of a, a, a athletic-wide blitz that I think is getting rolled out next week. And one of the questions I was asking these guys is, other than Christian McCaffrey, what three guys on this team would you build around? Would you would you kind of set as foundation-type players and some of these alumni, Panthers alumni that, that I was talking to, they were having trouble naming three guys. <laughs> and it was kind of sad, and, but also telling. And, uh, but, but that's sort of, that's Matt Rule's MO. Like what he has done at Temple and at Baylor is he has gone, gone into those places and the same thing here and kind of give, been given carte blanche to tear it all down and build it fresh and anew in his image. And in fact, at Temple, I forget, I don't think he followed Al Golden uh, j- directly, but he, didn't, and he did not necessarily inherit a real bad Temple team. Now, Baylor was a mess with the, with the sexual uh, scandal, the, the, the sexual misconduct scandal uh, in the wake of Art Bryles. Like, that one was a mess. But Temple... But I think he kind of did the same thing he's done here. It's like, you know, I think there was a lot of attrition, uh, probably some naturally, some otherwise. And he recruited his own guys. Uh, obviously here, they had a ton of turnover this offseason, as you guys know, from Luke Keekley to Cam Newton to Greg Olson, Gerald McCoy, Mario Addison. I mean, all the guys, with the exception of probably Christian McCaffrey and maybe Shaq Thompson, guys that fans affiliate with, and they're gone. And David Tepper gave Matt Rule seven years and $62 million and said, take your time. You know, don't don't take seven years, but don't don't feel like you have to do this overnight. And he is absolutely torn it down with the hopes of building it back up. Hey, Joe, what um, what do you what can you tell us about David Tepper, the owner? I mean, he 
he's an intriguing guy from afar. Seems like uh, obviously he made a ton of money uh, in in the you know hedge fund world. Uh, he was on the list to be an owner for a while before he got the Panthers. Uh, what's he like? Have you had much interaction with him? I know last year he had a couple of interesting like uh, press briefings with you all, which I thought was interesting, kind of almost foreshadowing what what went on in this past off season. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, Jeff. Like, <laughs> first of all, we talk about all these owners as being kind of big movers and shakers, and certainly they are. But last week, David Tepper, who, as you referenced, made just sick amount of ridiculous money as a hedge fund manager, he goes on CNBC and he, he makes a comment about this being one of the most overvalued markets that he could ever remember in his time doing what he does. On the strength of those words, <laughs> the market dropped 500 points. And <laughs> I, I was like, holy hell, why didn't he say something good about the market? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, he, he really is a brilliant businessman, obviously. And, uh, but, but he's a, for being, I don't know what he's worth now after the, the markets tank, but he, he, he's, you know, basically a $12 billion guy, but he's approachable. Like he, he's so much more approachable than Jerry Richardson is or was. And, um, yeah, he's the kind of guy, like he'll go out in these tailgates and he doesn't have like you know an IPA. He's drinking Miller Lite out at the tailgate, and it's not for show. Like he grew up. Well, he's not in- my guy anymore. Let's just cut it off. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with this guy. If he's not an IPA guy, it's over with for me. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he he's just now. One thing I will say. Jordan Rodrigue, our our terrific colleague, who's now, of course, covering the Rams, she and I did a piece back, back before COVID, back before quarantine, and you know we did. It was a tip that I'd gotten, and we'd been kind of working for a while. That uh, Tepper, it was at his strong urging that Ron Rivera changed the defense last year from a 4-3 to a 3-4, which ended up being two terrible results. It was a horrible fit for Luke Keekley. They had the worst run defense in the league and so on and so forth. And, you know, so, so that did not bode well in terms of uh, or speak well to David Tepper as like, you know, it's fine to come down and hang out at some practices and, and whatnot if you're a, a hedge fund manager with no – uh, NFL and <laughs> no, no X's and O's experience, but yeah, kind of leave the coaching to the guys you're paying the money for. And, and I'm wondering if he's learned a lesson from that last year. Well, Joe, let's jump on the field here. And we've already kind of gone over the mass attrition that's happened, but of course there is definitely the new Orleans connection that people are going to be discussing, obviously for years, as long as they're together, up in Carolina, the Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Joe Brady connection. And look, you and me kind of work in the story uh, from either the LSU or the Saints or the Panthers. And uh, we've kind of connected the dots, uh, you and me, uh, through our reporting that Joe Brady, once he goes to Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater would be a great fit. Uh, how do you feel like, and obviously you, don't, you haven't gotten to meet these guys, but how do you feel like that dynamic of Joe Brady 
and Teddy Bridgewater, how different of this offense will it look from, say, the Panthers that we're so used to seeing with the Cam Newton? And for years, uh, you know, they had the the two-headed attack with Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams, and, uh, you know, even though Christian McCaffrey's there. But how different do you feel like this offense will look with Teddy and Joe Brady kind of teaming up together? It's going to look like the Saints offense is what it's going to look like. It's certainly a strong resemblance uh, with some LSU stuff mixed in. But I was I did a phone interview uh, last week with, with Will Greer, who is, you guys remember, the West Virginia quarterback they took in the third round last year and kind of had a redshirt season last year. And um, he was saying that, I mean, he said they've been watching all this Saints and LSU tape. And, you know, he was mentioning about seeing some things of Bridgewater on tape from last year. And so I think, I mean, frankly, that that I need to start watching some more of the Saints and LSU tape because I think that is really what it's going to be. And you mentioned McCaffrey, like – I think he's just going to be such a good fit for this. I mean, it's, you know, it, as is Kamara, but you put McCaffrey out in space. And, and listen, Norv Turner was doing a lot of those same things, too. It's not like Joe Brady's, you know, reinventing the wheel where, where it comes to Christian McCaffrey. But I do think uh, there are going to be a ton of empty sets. You know, I was told, you know, that the tight end is sort of, you know, the tight end sort of just a, like a fifth receiver in, in a lot of regards. And, and the Panthers, in moving on from Greg Olson, was a more traditional tight end. The guy that sort of weighed in the wings behind Olson has been Ian Thomas, who kind of is absolutely like receiving tight end out of central casting and not a guy you'd, you'd want doing a lot of blocking. So it's going to be interesting. You know, obviously their line is, is going to have to, to, to be a lot better than they were last year. And they did go get, you know, traded for Russell Okun and, and, and had to give up a, a big piece to get him in new Orleans own Trey Turner. But yeah, it's going to be fun. Like, you know, that that's why that's another reason I hate that we're not out covering OTAs in minicamp as much as a lot of years those are that's a slog, but when you got like a new staff you're covering and, and new new offenses, that that's kind of cool and I'm I'm missing out on that. Well, that Joe, that leads into my next question. How much do you think it's hurting Carolina that they have this turnover uh, not only in the coaching staff but also on the roster, and they're not able to work right now. It, 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 I know Sean Payton has made a, a point of that being a huge advantage for teams like the Saints that have the continuity and stability on the roster. Uh, how much do you think this is going to be something that Carolina has to overcome? No question. They're, 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 this is affecting them probably more, or certainly as, as much as the other teams with first-year coaches like you know Joe Judge comes immediately to mind with the Giants you know Rivera and uh and Mike McCarthy they you know that this in their first rodeo I mean I, I think they'll be a little bit certainly a lot better equipped to handle handle this in fact an analogy I've used a lot you know, Ron Rivera's first year here it was 2011 in Charlotte coming off of the lockout and so he didn't have the benefit uh, with the Panthers of, of an OTA or a mini camps or, or any 
of what you would consider a traditional offseason. And and he had a new quarterback. That's the year they drafted Cam Newton. So uh, whereas Rivera has some experience with this, I, I think you know I think Matt Rule is going to be swimming in it a little bit. Two new coordinators, a new quarterback. We talked about all the other changes and some of the guys we 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 haven't mentioned, but like Robbie Anderson, they brought in, and Seth Roberts, the old Raiders receiver. So yeah, that the thing about it is, Jeff is like, I don't think they really, <laughs> in their heart of hearts, I'm not sure they're really expecting to be all that good this year. Anyway, doesn't mean you want to come out and just be awful. But um, but but it, it it's certainly a, another obstacle that's been thrown right in in the direction of Matt Rule. Well, Joe, you mentioned in their heart of hearts. Look, this almost could be a mulligan year uh, in a sense, and of course the head coach is safe. But look, Teddy Bridgewater's contract is what half as long as the, as the head coach's, and maybe what he's probably got two years to prove himself. Uh, is that the way you see it? He's got basically two years, and then. If things aren't going as well, they look elsewhere, whether it's uh, the draft, more than likely, or, say, free agency at that point. Who knows who's a free agent at that point? But, I mean, how long is is basically uh, the tryout period for Teddy Bridgewater? Yeah, I think you nailed it, Larry. It's, I mean, it's two years. Uh, it's a three-year deal, but the, the third year is, is, you know, it's no guaranteed money. It's, it's just a wash, like – they, they, I mean, they ha- might have like five million in, in dead cap, but uh, like twenty one million in savings if they were to cut him after his first two years here. So, yeah, I was told when they signed him, look, this would not preclude us from taking a quarterback at some point while he is still here. And I don't need to remind you guys just about how strong that class is coming out next year with. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and the the kid from Texas and you know others too. I mean, it's, I don't. I mean, I think it's Fields or I, I think if you're the Panthers, it's, it's Fields or Lawrence. But but you know you you got to be really bad to be picking in the top five. And and that's and you know that's you guys have seen Teddy Bridgewater the last couple of years. Like I don't know. I mean, is he going to elevate them to? you know, like a five or six win season, which would probably take them out of the top five. Uh, you know, they have tried to give them some weapons around them. Uh, but, but the defense has a lot of holes. There's a depth chart. Uh, the, de- the defensive depth chart has a bunch of rookies in prominent positions. So it'll be interesting. But, but to your point, yeah, I, I think if they go out and <laughs> And they're picking in the top five next year. I'd be shocked if it weren't a quarterback. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, nice transition. Uh, you and I talked, Joe, <laughs> a lot about this Tommy Stevens imbroglio in the draft. I'm curious, from the other side, what was the view of that story? Of course, Sean Payton orchestrating a trade back into the seventh round to take a player that Let's face it; uh, might not might not have made either roster. <laughs> the fifty three man roster looks like more of a developmental practice squad type player. Uh, what was the view from Panthers country on that uh, on that move? Well, it was painted Jeff as, and, and I think this is probably accurate. And I think you and I have talked about this that this was sort of uh, Stevens was sort of a Joe Brady pet project 
that I don't know that the scouts or even Marty Herney were like chomping at the bit to get yeah, Tommy Stevens in here and, and get him working, you know, as the third or fourth or quarterback or special teams or what, however the hell they were going to use him. But, but Joe Brady liked him, you know, he had a history with him from Penn state. And, and so in terms of how the view, how the Panthers view kind of Peyton's power play on, it was sort of what I had one guy tell me, it's like, you know, this is the kind of thing that Sean likes to do. And, and he, he sort of likes to give the middle finger to the rest of the league. And in this case, the Panthers, uh, and you know, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting. Uh, Ron Rivera's staff, uh, like a lot of staffs, weren't real fond of of Peyton and some of his, you know, kind of uh, antics or what what have you. Yeah, I don't know a rule. I don't think he knows Peyton well enough yet to have any feeling one way or another. I mean, Joe Brady, <laughs> Joe Brady obviously does. Uh, but I, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I think the Panthers feel like this. I don't think they're they're thinking they're going to lose draft picks, but a couple folks I've talked to said, you know, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we get dinged for this, uh, and I'm sure that that would only kind of serve to to piss them off a little more. Joe Person covers the Carolina Panthers uh, for the Athletic uh, with myself, Larry Holder, and Jeff Duncan here on the Duncan Holder Podcast Network. We'll get back to Panthers talk here in a minute, but look, there are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help from medical condition. If you are dealing with a condition like ED, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, Complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel at any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, we're back here with Joe Person here from The Athletic, of course, talking about the NFC South specifically with the Carolina Panthers uh, and Joe, you mentioned uh, Robbie Anderson. Uh, how much of a weapon do you feel like that that was needed with, say, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel? Uh, I, you want weapons for Teddy Bridgewater, but how much uh, was that a priority? Because he wasn't necessarily, say, this signing at the beginning of the free agency period. Yeah, you know, Mike Sando does a, a terrific job for us at The Athletic. He He did a nice piece shortly after the signing and just basically and, and I think he talked to some you know scouts and, and whatnot he's just Robbie Anderson is a speed guy and there isn't a whole lot else uh, about his game like he, it's a limited route tree you know with a lot of a lot of uh, go routes and skinny posts and and things to stretch that defense and and they can't they, they have a guy they should have a guy like that in Curtis Samuel 
problem is Curtis Samuel a lot of times gets sort of hung up at the line. He is not terrific uh, getting off press coverage. Teams and defenses know this. Curtis Samuel still, I think, you know, he, you know, there, there was talk about him being on the trade block a little bit around the draft time. I think they think they were listening to to calls. Obviously, ended up holding on to him. He still has value in this offense, but it's more. You know, they get him involved in the running game some. I think they view him a little bit like the, the, how, how Percy Harvin used to used to be used around the league. Um, the one guy you mentioned, though, I, DJ Moore last year, he, he kind of took a, a pretty big step in his development. I, I like DJ Moore. I think, I think he's tough. I, I mean, he's got a little he's – not, he's not as, like, put together and, 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 you know, strong as Steve Smith – but he's got that kind of a game, and he and he's he's pretty fearless, and uh, they they send that guy. I did a story with him last year about just kind of what what goes through a receiver's mind when you're going over the middle and you know you're about to get killed, and and he really he goes in and he hangs on to those balls, and and if he catches it in space, he's got some uh, you know some yak a lot of yak potential, so. They need him to kind of, I mean, he's their, Robbie Anderson aside, I mean, DJ Moore needs to be their best receiver. I mean, I think he just got more of the total package than, than Anderson. And hopefully, you know, I think the hope with Matt Rule and, and of course, Anderson, like a lot of these guys they signed, has t- ties to Matt Rule from Temple, a couple guys from Baylor, mostly from Temple. But uh, the, the hope is Anderson stretches that, de- that defense and, and opens things up a little bit more for DJ Moore. Hey, Joe, let's talk about the other side of the ball and a, a player that our listeners are familiar with, Dante Jackson. He's a New Orleans native, played at LSU, was a second-round pick a couple of years ago at Carolina, seemed to have a really promising rookie season, and then last year – uh, kind of leveled off a little bit. What's the scouting report on Dante Jackson? Very confident, very fast, and sometimes gets himself in trouble. You know, maybe a little overconfident in terms of uh, breaking on the ball, maybe taking some risks in coverage when when it's kind of mo- when he would be better served to just play the defense, that kind of stuff. But. They kind of like I was saying about DJ Moore. They really need Dante Jackson to be the player they drafted him to be. You know, second round pick, uh, good credentials, as you said, coming out of uh, DBU, and uh, and and you know, oh by the way, they let James Bradbury walk. They're their other starting corner. So, and they and to this point, all they've really done to replace Bradbury is is take. Uh, Troy Pride out of uh, North of uh, Notre Dame in the fourth round, which you know a lot of folks around here is like, why why Marty Herney wait that late in the draft? But all that is to say that yeah, they they need a big bounce back year from Dante Jackson. He was pretty good as a rookie, took a step back last year, and and you know hopefully a change of scenery. I think sometimes too he would kind of he he was he got sideways with the coaching staff. Not so much Rivera as as some of the defense and specifically the secondary coaches, and uh, I think they're hoping that that some you know a new message, a new messenger will be good for Dante Jackson. Needless to say, Luke Keekley is a loss. We all know that. And who's going to take that role 
uh, and uh, is it Shaq Thompson? Is it uh, Tahir Whitehead? Who's going to take that Keekly role within the defense? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Shaq Thompson is is saying that he needs to be that guy. It, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like, that hasn't been his personality. And in fairness to Shaq, you know, that it was tough to get a word in edgewise, I'm sure, in a linebacker room where Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis were still around. So maybe maybe with 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 those guys gone that that you know he he can take that leadership role because they need it. I mean, Kwan short defensive tackle who missed pretty much all the last season and has not really played to the level lately. I mean, he's been hurt, but he could stand to uh to to step into that role too, but um but you mentioned to hear Whitehead. I think he is a guy we got him on a Zoom call, you know, and and, and I, from what I've heard from from guys who've covered him elsewhere that he's got a pretty good, you know, kind of a team guy. And and Matt it's worth pointing out too that Matt Rule brought a lot of these guys in that he knows because he trusts them and he knows they're going to be buy-in guys as he tries to set that foundation that we were talking about earlier. And so, and and all these coaches do that. I, re- I remember when Rivera got here, I did, you know, all, there were all these San Diego, former San Diego Chargers that came in here, like Mike Talt, Mike Tolbert, and Antoine Applewhite, and so forth. So anyway, to hear Whitehead is one of those Temple guys that was with Rule and uh, he's not going to be the player Luke Keekley was, but he but he's been a pretty solid pro, kind of maybe in the mode of mold of like an AJ Klein type of guy. I mean, he's had the last four seasons to hear Whitehead's had a hundred plus tackles very quietly on some like bad Raiders teams. Hey Joe, you mentioned Cam Newton earlier. I mean, we got to ask you about him. I mean, what what went down there? Was it strictly just? A new coaching staff, new regime, wanting to start over. Uh, was there anything? I, I, you know, I assume from Cam Newton's side of things, it didn't end on the best of terms. And also, what, what do you think happens to him this off season? So I think it was a lot of things. Uh, I talked about getting guys who were like buy-in guys. You, Cam Newton, does things Cam Newton's way. And it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily mean he's you know ignores coaching or anything like that. I mean, he, he, it's just that there are certain guys and you, you guys have covered some that they're just, they do things their way. And I don't know that a first year coach wanted to kind of be saddled with that. And it's weird to use that, that verb or that description with, with a guy that's won an an MVP. But listen, if Cam Newton were healthy and and had been healthy and and producing like he did in 2015 then he's still going to be here and they've probably worked out a new contract for him but that wasn't the case i mean we talk a lot about the the Liz Frank injury that he had that, that he suffered in a preseason game in New England last year but the real concern when you talk to people around the league is his shoulder that's been now operated on twice the second surgery, the way it was described by the Panthers doctors, I've had some some sports, you know, some sports med- medicine experts say that the way the some of those code words they were using, that sounds like an arthritic shoulder. And I, I, he's been squeezed to your to your question about what's next. So I will say he has been squeezed by the COVID 
travel restrictions, probably more so than any other player. Because because of the health history that I mentioned, a team like let's just say the Jaguars, that they're they want their own docs to see them. They 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 don't want some third person, you know, dude in Atlanta checking out Cam Cam Newton's twice repaired right shoulder. So and you know, it I almost think at this point he'd be better off waiting for somebody somewhere to get hurt, which it is going to happen. He'll be the best guy, you know, he'll be the biggest name available at that point. But the thing about it is, and I've had people say this to me, that that involves one sitting around and waiting potentially for a a while. And then is Cam Newton, the kind of quarterback that can, that can thrive coming in and learning an offense in a week. And so I don't know. It's, it's a weird future for a guy that has so long been the face of this franchise and now is sort of twisting in the wind. I, you know, and, 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 and some of it's his personality, right? Like if, if you're, uh, if someone made this analogy to me, the bears clearly Mitch Trubisky's on shaky ground, but, but they sort of wanted to give him one last shot here. You're not going to bring Cam Newton like Mitch Trubisky would be looking over his shoulder at him like from day one. And I don't think Cam would be like a great mentor in the quarterback room. Like he wants that starting job. And so I don't know. It's going to be fat. It's been fascinating already. And it's going to be very intriguing to see how this plays out. Joe, let's take a look at some of these rookies that have come in a ton of new faces uh, like we talked about already but let's just start with the the three big picks on defense uh, Derek Brown Jeremy Chin uh Yeter Gross Matos uh, Brown of course look I- I've seen him in person and uh, he gave LSU fits probably the most uh, last year of any defensive player I've watched uh, so I'm sure Joe Brady uh, <laughs> probably could have said, "Oh, look, he gave us fits. He can give other teams fits." But uh, where do you guys, where do you think those three guys fit uh, coming in uh, to this season? I like the Brown pick a lot. I like you guys. I watch I, I watch a lot of SEC football, and anytime I turned on an Auburn game last year, that dude just stood out as as a man amongst boys, and that's that's saying something in that conference. And part of it, I think, was the fact that I love these guys that he's like wearing a wide receiver number, playing defensive tackle at like six five three thirty. But but he just he tossed guys around and get in the backfield and stretch plays out and you know he doesn't have a ton you know he didn't have a ton of sacks at, at Auburn but then you go watch the tape and he's like you know he's like getting double teamed like from you know from the opening whistle and I do think that is part of the appeal here too like they don't want him just to be a space eater and a a guy that occupies blocks, but that's, that's part of it. And, and, and they haven't had anyone, uh, since probably since K short, like got first got hurt about five years ago, four years ago, they just, they haven't had anyone that's just like, Oh, we got to prepare for him on the inside. And, and Derek Brown does that. Like you, defensive offensive coordinators they've got to know you know they've got to have a plan for Derek Brown uh the other two guys you mentioned Gross Matos and Chin I like Chin a lot um 
I've, I've always sort of got, have a soft spot for kind of the underdog dudes. And this guy went to, you know, he was a, he was a no star recruit out of Indianapolis goes to Southern Illinois and, uh, and just a stud. Like he's, he's fast. I guess, I guess the story I talked to his high school coach, he was not, he hit a gross spurt, like, his junior or senior year of high school, it was sort of after the recruiting thing was all done and he's six, three and can run. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to be a factor from day one, just like Derek Brown at safety, uh, probably an in the box safety. I don't, I, the gross Matos pick. I wasn't as enamored with, I think he's got a lot of upside, um, <clears throat> edge rusher, you know, he just, his production, was was solid at Penn State, not spectacular, but certainly a lot of upside. So I get, you know, if, if they feel like the ceiling's there, and if he plays to that, you know, that, then they'll have have had a decent pick. But I, I think the other two, to me, feel like slam dunks. All right, Joe. Before we let you go, we've got to tap in to your expertise on the Charlotte nightlife and food scene uh, for, for saints fans new orleanians that's always a popular trip actually for saints fans it's an easy flight on american it's a charlotte's obviously a american hub a lot of people take that direct flight in there uh, when larry and i are out and we've often met you out before the games uh, it's a great city to travel to because there's so many hotels right there within walking distance of the stadium if you were going to give uh, you know a suggestion of where to go get some, maybe some Charlotte type food or a good spot to watch a game the night before, even if it's not just downtown, if they have to get in a an Uber, what what are your what are your recs for Saints fans? Yeah, so food wise and drink wise, I I like to tell folks about this barbecue place. Um, you know, good Carolina barbecue. It's called Max M A C apostrophe s max speed shop i think i've tried to send you guys there it's um it's five minutes from downtown you know you're you're taking an uber it's uh it's got a great scene like um you know i think the theme is like biker bar it's not really a biker bar but the food's terrific they've got their, their brisket and burnt ends are probably the would be my two wrecks a huge beer selection, uh, very friendly and courteous wait staff, and uh, that's where I'm going to eat. Where you're getting your nightcap? See, I don't, I don't go downtown that much because that's where all the young people go, Jeff. And uh, Joe, you mean you're more... not young anymore? Come on, <laughs> I, I thought you're like forever 29, right? Oh my gosh. I kind of, I kind of keep it on the down low down in South Charlotte. Uh, South park is the big mall here. It's and, and, and it's, that's only like 15 minutes away. So you guys, if you guys ever stay at South park. Now I can show you kind of where, uh, kind of where the more seasoned veterans will go get a nightcap, uh, d- down here in the suburbs. So you mean just us being old since I'm the young one on this pod and I'm 40. So I, we're, we're, I guess we're all officially seasoned here. Brother, I, I like got the word a, season. <laughs> I got a I got a big birthday this coming up in like three weeks, and like I am like 
I wanted to like throw myself a big party and <laughs> invite you guys like, like big enough that I'm, I'm going NFC South, like come on in. I just can't do it in COVID. Like I'm not going to be that butthole. That's like, Hey, come <laughs> party with me and ig- ignore every state and local regulation we've heard for the last three months. So I guess I'm going to be partying right here by my lonesome in my third floor office. <laughs> I'll send you like a Zoom, like, cheers. We'll, we'll just do that. Awesome. There you go. Well, Joe, look, we really appreciate you jumping on the show. Of course, uh, all three of us longtime friends. And uh, definitely at some point we need to get together when this is all said and done and throw back an IPA or seven or 15 old fashions or God knows what would, would me and Joe get together. But, uh, but Joe, really appreciate it, buddy. Likewise, guys. That's uh, it was a it was a blast coming on. Good deal. All right. Well, that's Joe Person covers the Carolina Panthers for the Athletic. Does uh, a tremendous job, and of course, uh, follow all of his work. He is on top of everything. The voice for the Carolina Panthers. So, want to thank our producer Danielle as always for putting up with us lunatics, and of course, check it all out theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder or you can go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Get on the Duncan Holder podcast. Last four pods have been really, really good. So get on board and we'll keep the goods coming uh, as we head into the summer, but still plenty to talk about. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks for jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.